or how would you define covenant or what would you say a covenant means? And there's no wrong answers here this morning because everything you say is going to be right. So what, what, do you, what does covenant mean to you when you hear the word covenant? A pact? Yep. A promise? Yep. An agreement? Yep. What's that? Protection? Absolutely. Yep. That's a good one. Relationship? <clears throat> yep. All of that. All of that is true. Um, if you get into the Greek side of things, one of the base meaning simplest definitions of covenant is to cut or to cut covenant, to make a deal, make an agreement, to, to receive that protection. You know, there's a two-sided deal going on there. So, so what about in a blood covenant? What's, what would kind of throw in some definitions extra that would go along with a blood covenant? Anybody care to throw some out there? Sacrifice? I know there's maybe not a whole lot there. I'm not trying to prod or anything and get you uncomfortable. Yeah. She was waving her hand behind you. I wasn't calling on you, Craig. Be quiet. <laughs> yep. Yep, definitely. <laughs> so let's turn to Matthew 26, 28. <clears throat> And this is kind of what we're going to base it off of here this morning. What I want to get across to you this morning <clears throat> is a deeper understanding of the blood covenant and what that means between us and our Heavenly Father. Because we kind of all have this basic working knowledge of the fact that there's a blood covenant that took place that gave us relationship with God. And while all that is true, I think there's some deeper things there that we have no idea are available and that, that were part of that deal. And so we're going to talk about a few of those this morning. Matthew 26, verse 28 says, <clears throat> For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of of sins. This is my blood of the new covenant. So this was the Lord's Supper as we, we have deemed it. This is the night before Jesus was going to be betrayed and turned over and start going through the process that would lead to crucifixion, that would lead to his death. He sat down with the disciples <clears throat> and made a covenant with them. and Basically set up a covenant for all of mankind. It's available to all of mankind. And so he's, he's teaching them this and, and this little book here, so I, I knew about the blood. I knew I was supposed to teach about the blood, and I thought there's got to be something that I'm missing to read here besides just searching the scriptures alone. So we've got the couple of bookshelves. There's a lot of books on there I've never even read before. That Books get given. I think when my grandmother passed away, a big pile of books was given to us, and a lot of them are sitting there. Actually, I can probably look and see. Oh, this one might actually not have been hers. She usually always wrote her name or put a, uh, a post or a address label in them that were hers. But so there's a lot of books up there that I've never even read before, and so I'm just kind of flipping through and searching through. And some of them are like, oh, they kind of deal with it, but they don't. And then I come across this one, 
the blood covenant. I thought, well, gee, I wonder if that's the book I should take a look at. And I like it because it's short. I could get through it quick, right? So it's by E.W. Kenyon. If you want to get deep into what I'm talking about this morning and get a little better understanding after I share this with you, I would highly recommend this book. It's Like I said, it's a very short read. Um, I've been through it a couple, three times already, and I know I'm going to keep going through it because there's his teaching, E.W. Kenyon, is kind of just one-liners. He'll throw a lot of one-liners at you, and they're so full and so meaty that you can just, you can't read it like a normal book where you just kind of keep going. You kind of got to take your time and process it. But, but anyway, so there's a lot of good stuff out of this that I want to talk about. And one of the main things that he got into that I'd never really thought about before is, is, the, is blood covenants, even outside of the church, outside of Christianity, outside of that. Um, <clears throat> have you ever heard of Blood Brothers? You know, they became blood brothers, stuff like that. I mean, we think about that, you know, they made a pact, I think as it was said, that they decided to join together and, and whatever, yada, yada, yada. Well, he shares in here how there were missionaries in Africa, and you got a lot of African tribes, and those tribes date way back. And, and he's talking about the significance of the fact that the covenant has been around forever. And, and there's many different types and styles of these covenants that have been cut in Africa and these different areas and between different men and tribes and things like that. And they all have various forms, but they all have certain elements that are the same no matter what. And that's what I want to kind of talk about because it, it brings some interesting ideas to what the covenant that took place here between us and Christ kind of thing. And so what it would kind of take place, let me think. Okay, let's have Gunner and Rich. Why don't you come up? I'm going to pick on you guys, if that's okay. Don't worry. You don't have to do anything. You just kind of got to stand here. So so what would happen is in between these tribes, <clears throat> what? Well, you can fix the chair away. If you want to turn away from the crowd, that's fine. <laughs> Again, I'm not sick, so if I cough on you, I apologize. You're just going to get spit on. That's about it. But anyway, so a blood covenant would take place between different tribes and things of that nature and, and even talked about these missionaries cutting covenants with tribes and how that would give them access to different regions that they couldn't have gone before for fear of death because they would be killed because they were trespassing and things of that nature. So when a blood covenant took place, what would happen is they would have a priest or someone that would officiate the thing and they'd have a cup of wine. And I searched high and low for like a golden scepter kind of cup, but whatever. We're going to deal with our cheap porcelain one here this morning. So, and they would have wine in that cup, and, and the priest would have that wine, and then they would have a knife. And remember, covenant means to cut, not only to cut to make a deal, but you would take the wrist of one, and I promise I'm not going to cut you here this morning. So everybody just relax. He's, oh, my gosh. So they'd have the wine. You'd take the wrist of one, and they'd cut it and let, and let some blood drop in that. And then they'd take the wrist of the other, cut it, and let some blood drop in there. Then they would stir that and mix that up, and one would drink half of it, and the other would drink the other half. And then those two would become blood brothers or in a blood covenant. Now, not only were they in covenant together, but everything that they had and everything that they owned was at the other's disposal should they need it. <clears throat> Whether that meant just possessions or if they were a ruler of sorts or the chief of a tribe, the entire tribe now had that backing. And that blood covenant was so powerful of a thing that if one of the two were dumb enough to break that covenant, 
then they were to be put to death. And it was so serious that even the mother of that person or the family of that person would kill them or turn them over at least to the other covenant person to be killed. So could you imagine Nancy turning Gunner over to Rich because he decided to break the covenant? But, but that's how serious it was that even you would have the understanding that if he broke this covenant, he deserved to be turned over. And you were willing to do so because that's how serious the covenant was between two men. Now, <clears throat> you guys can, I guess you guys can go ahead and go sit down. So I'm, I'm going to bring you back up in the example later, but I won't make you come back up. But that's how a covenant was cut in amongst those African tribes. And, for example, this one missionary went in and was able, after negotiations, to cut a covenant with the leader of one of the African tribes there. And, and a lot of times when the covenant takes place, they would exchange gifts first. They'd give each other a gift showing that, again, that everything that I have is yours and yours is mine should I have need of it. Then they would do the blood, the cutting, drinking of the blood, and then they were in covenant. And, and they would, in a sense, even enemies could come together and do this. And now they had each other's backs to the point of death. They were that willing. That's how serious a covenant was. We have no idea what a covenant is in America. I mean, we're willing to make a deal with somebody just to turn around and stab them in the back tomorrow half the time, business-wise, you know, and things like that. Or, and I'm not saying that about us here or anything like that, but you see it all the time. You can't trust anybody, let alone would you be willing to enter in that type of a covenant with, can you think of anybody, period? And I was kind of scratching my head, and I thought, God, there's maybe one or two people that I would trust to the point of my own life and everything that I own, be willing to give it to them should they have need of it, not in fear that they're just going to take it and squander it, but they would understand that covenant to the point that I am understanding this covenant. We just don't see that a lot. So this, this missionary was in, in there and, and made a deal with this uh, leader of the African tribe, and the covenant was cut, <clears throat> and the gift that he gave uh, the missionary was his staff, his spear, and it was wrapped and designed in a certain fashion, and everybody knew that was his spear. Well, he found that as he traveled through the rest of the area, no matter what other tribes he ran into, just having that in his hand gave him full access. Nobody would try and stop them. Nobody would try and kill them. Nobody would try and steal from them. Nobody would even dare do anything to them because they knew who was backing them. They wouldn't mess with them. He was able to go wherever he needed to go and do whatever he needed to do because everybody knew that if they messed with that guy, they had him coming for him personally because there was a covenant there. And so they had a great understanding of that covenant. Anybody putting this together? The covenant? So when Jesus sat down, so, so we go even further back. Let's, let's take another look here at some other things. When, when he sat down with the disciples and he's talking about this covenant, you don't see them asking any questions. This is one thing he pointed out in the book, and I thought that is very interesting. It didn't seem anything bizarre to them that he was cutting a blood covenant with them. They didn't ask, well, what does this mean? You drink your blood. This is your covenant. You know, what, is, what are you talking about? You know, and, and things of that nature. And our minds kind of go tilled on eat the body of Christ and drink his blood? What is that supposed to even really mean? Well, they weren't asking questions because they were always doing this. 
with the old covenant. Cutting a blood covenant with God was, was a common thing. But there's a difference, and there was a need for a difference, and that's why Christ brought in this new covenant. And so let's go back and take a look at history a little bit here. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, they were doing this all the time. There, was, there were several different types of, of offerings that you could bring to God. You had your meal offering, you had your peace offering, you had your whole burnt offering, you had your trespass offering, or if you, you know, did somebody else wrong, you could bring a trespass offering. And then you had your sin offering. And that was the one that required blood. The other ones were food and items and doves and stuff like that. Um, parts and pieces of animals, if you want to call it that. Maybe the whole animal getting tossed on the fire and then offered to God. You know, there's a lot to it. We're not going to get into all that. But the sin offering was the one where the blood came. And actually, then you go even a little bit further. You know, Moses went up on the mountain and talked with God. And God gave him, told him to do these things as you saw on the mountain. And so they created a replication of what was in heaven. So they had the tabernacle. And he made that. And he made it in a representation of heaven. And I got to thinking about this. And this is a total side note. But. You know, Moses came down from that mountain, and his face was shining. And it was so bright that people couldn't even hardly stand to look at him. Did he go to heaven, you think? I wonder if he actually went to heaven because he was told to make everything in the likeness of what he was showing on the mountain. Did he see the throne room of God himself? Pretty cool, I thought. And I don't know that, but kind of irrelevant. But wouldn't wouldn't surprise me as to why he come down shining like that then. But he's, he at least was showing what the throne room of God looks like. And so he was to create that exact representation. So you got your outer court where all the, the daily priestly activities took place. All of these offerings except for the sin offering would take place on a regular basis depending on if you screwed up or not. So you gone done, screwed up. You did something against your neighbor. You take your trespass offering. You go get that cleaned up and taken care of because that's what the law told you to do. But then inside of that, behind the veil, was the Holy of Holies. And only one dude could go in there, and that was the high priest. And he could only go in there once a year. And the reason he went in there was to offer the sin offering. And he would take blood, nothing, nothing else but the blood. And he was to go in there and take that blood and sprinkle it on all of the different things that were there from the, the, the basically the... Um, bowls and cups and, and the throne there and the, the Ten Commandments were in there, the cherubim were in there. He'd cover those things with blood. And the reason he did that for the sin offering is because that's, that is against God. That was a sin against God. And to, to be able to fix that, it took life. And life is in the blood. And so that's why he took blood. He didn't take other things, but he took life. And that life was shed. That life was destroyed. That it might cover the fact that we are spiritually dead against God or Israel was spiritually dead against God because of their sin against God. So that's why they would take a life to cover a life. Does that kind of make sense? We don't have, I mean, we can, we can teach for months on this, but we're just going to kind of hit it so you get a basis for where we're going with all of this. So he'd go in there and he'd sprinkle that blood on everything, and that would make atonement. And the word atonement means to cover. It wouldn't wash it away. It wouldn't eradicate it, but it would cover it. So that way God could still have fellowship with man. 
Because without it, you couldn't because of sin. Sin wasn't, you can't put God in the same room as sin. They won't mesh. Something's going to go poof and it ain't going to be God. So if we're full of sin and we get into the presence of God without atonement, and, and I'm talking under the old covenant, covenant, poof, there's no more man. And, and I've heard it said, and I don't remember where or why, but they used to tie a rope around the high priest's leg when he went in just in case he didn't have his poof in a group. And he'd go in there and try and do these things with God and have sin on himself and sin against God. Poof, he was dead. That way they could drag him out because nobody else could go in there because they couldn't go in and get his carcass out of there. So anyway, pretty serious stuff. And so that's why the necessity of the blood is to take that life to cover the dead life. So they'd shed the life to be able to create life so God could fellowship with man. <clears throat> but again, in the Old Testament, it was an atonement. You don't find the word atonement in the New Testament like you did in the Old Testament because it was the covering of that sin. It was just a temporal thing. It would only take care of the fact that they could commune together then, but it didn't fix one thing. And I got a note here. It says, the blood of bulls and goats did not cleanse the conscience. It did not take away sin consciousness from man. It couldn't do it. It would cover that sin, but it wouldn't fix the sin consciousness. And so then that starts bringing us around to what Jesus was talking about here. And let's actually go to, um, let's go to Hebrews 10, chapter 1. Hebrews 10, chapter 1, says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So in other words, again, for the law, a sh having a shadow of things to come. So it was a representation of the tabernacle of God. It was a representation of the true blue throne room of God. Even though they brought a sacrifice year after year, a sin offering, it could never make man perfect. It didn't fix the true blue root of the problem, the heart. So it would cover it so they could still commune with God and God could still do some things for them. It was at least an avenue, but it never took care of the problem. So let's jump over. Oh, let me see here. Yeah, let's go to Hebrews, back, back up a few pages to Hebrews 9, verse 21. We'll start there. Hebrews 9, 21. And again, you can read Hebrews 8 and 9 and part of the first part of 10. And it's all about this and how the working of the new covenant, the new high priest took place. It says in 9, 21, Then likewise he sprinkled with blood, the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry, and according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven, in the heaven, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So we see they talking about a copy. Again, the tabernacle that Moses was told to make was a copy of what was in heaven whether he went there and saw it himself or was just told exactly what it looks like. It's an exact representation, but we brought it here to earth. 
We brought it here to earth so that way man could make sacrifices on it and it would create an atonement so man could commune with God. But it didn't fix the problem. So then we have Christ come in and say, this is the blood. This is my blood of the new covenant. So we see something different take place here. We see where Christ then, and, and even, there's just so much here I can't hardly get it all spit out. So help me, Lord, communicate this. When, when Christ died and he was ascended, remember how Mary caught him by the tomb? Because she went to the tomb to finish putting um, all of the ointments and spices and things to properly bury Jesus. And she was on her way there and found the stone rolled back and caught Jesus there. She thought he was the gardener because she didn't recognize him because he was a little different now because he was ascending to heaven. <clears throat> and, she, and Jesus said, don't touch me yet, for I'm still on my way up. I'm ascending to the Father. I'll be back. But I've got some business i got to take care of. So he went into the heaven room, and he went into the legit, true blue, holy of holies as high priest to do the high priest job. So there's a couple things here that we need to recognize. When Adam sinned, the original sin that separated mankind from God, and you have all these thousands of years that go by, and they're doing all these sacrifices in a like representation, Jesus didn't go in to the tabernacle here on earth to offer his blood. He went to the tabernacle to offer his blood. So we see that that sin problem, that thing that Adam did, the sin that he had, didn't affect just the earth. It actually infected heaven. And it stained the throne room of God. And so Jesus didn't go to the man-made version to offer his blood because it wasn't just here. But he went into the very presence of God as high priest to represent us on our behalf once and for all to sprinkle his blood, not to make atonement not to cover, because he wasn't down here covering things. He was there wiping it clean. Gone. Done. Forevermore. No longer a problem. It wasn't going to require that he did this daily or once a year as the law required, because that sin problem is now eradicated. And so when we come in faith and we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the Bible talks about he is our righteousness, it's so much more than just being born again. That sin is eradicated. We now not only have taken care of the sin problem, but now we've taken care of the sin consciousness. We have the ability, if we get a hold of this, and this is what I want you to get this morning, if you get a hold of this, we have the ability to no longer remember our own sins, to no longer think about being in sin, and to no longer have a sin consciousness, period. Because we have been made able to stand in the throne room of God, enter the holy holies, not the one made by man's hand, but the legit one, the real deal in heaven itself, enter in to the feet of God himself without any remorse, without any regret, without any sin consciousness at all, because Jesus took care of that. But we hang on. We don't let it go because we think we're not worthy. We think about the things that we've done. We think about the things that we've said. We think about the things that we're doing, whatever that might be. But we have the ability, if we understand this and grab a hold of this, 
it's done. It's been dealt with. And to continually bring it up is mocking, in a sense. It's, it's basically saying you don't believe that his blood took care of it or that his blood was worthy of able to take care of it. So it's, it's an amazing thing that takes place. But now, let's go back a little bit here, like we're, what we talked about in the covenant. And just like I had these guys come up, and they covenant with each other in that sense. So these things that take place in these African tribes and things of that nature that truly understand what a blood covenant means, everything that Rich has is at Gunner's disposal should he need it. Everything that Gunner has is at Rich's disposal should he need it. Now, I perfect, per purposely kind of picked on you guys a little bit here because, Gunner, you're young. You're just getting started. You're probably, you know, you're doing the college thing. If, if anything, you probably got more debt than, than assets, you know, things like that, because that's just the reality of it. And I'm not saying that you screwed up and you're, you're, you're failing at life. Don't, don't read into this. This is just a simple illustration. So I, I purposely did that because you might not have much to offer Rich in a material sense. But Rich, you're later on in life. You've been successful in business. Things have gone well. You have some assets. You have some things. So there's, in a sense, some things that you could offer at Gunner's disposal should he have need of it. And so it kind of maybe almost seems like an unbalanced covenant. Well, don't you think there's a slight unbalance between us and Jesus as well? But what is, what is Christ after? Does he give a rip about our houses? Does he give a rip about our money? Does he give a rip about our social status? No, that's irrelevant. He's after our heart. That's the one thing that he can't have without us giving it up. He owns everything else. I don't care if you think it's your money. I don't care if you think it's your house. It ain't yours. The Bible says that he owns everything. It's his. So he can shift that around. So be careful how you think about your possessions because he can shift them around if he needs to. And that's a whole other thing. We won't get into that. Anyway. So those things can be moved and shifted, but he cannot make you give him, his heart, give him your heart. He can't do it, but that's the one thing he wants. That's the only thing he's after, because if he has that, then everything that he has <clears throat> is at your disposal, and if he has your heart to do his will, and now that disposal is used towards that. It's not wasted on ourselves. It's not wasted on vanity. And there's so many scriptures that we could get into that talk about this, but we don't have time. So if we think about what takes place when we make a covenant, when we enter into that covenant with Christ, <coughs> excuse me, when we enter into that covenant with Christ, we give up the one and only thing that he can't have, forcefully, if you want to call it that, or whatever, is our heart. But what do we gain? What do we have on the other side of that covenant? When a covenant is cut, everything that's on the other side becomes at our disposal. And I like how he puts this in the book. If I understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the vision that he gave me of it, that all of heaven's ability, all of heaven's glory, all of heaven's strength are at the disposal of the believer. Do you remember when Jesus Christ said, I could call down 
what is it? 10,000 legions of angels, if I read it to you right now. So he's telling Peter, and they were trying to take him, but he didn't because it was the will of the Father to go this way. But he had all of that at his disposal. All that power was sitting there. I mean, <laughs> demons didn't even try to come against him. They got mad when he came close because they knew it was their time to go. They knew they couldn't do nothing about it. Because it's Jesus himself, there's nothing they can do because of all of heaven's power and disposal, or it was at his disposal. Everything that heaven has is in his hands, and he could use that as he was accomplishing the Father's will. When the two African tides that I was talking about, the chief priest and this missionary cut the covenant, it actually wasn't the two of them that did the cutting and drank the blood. They both sent a representative. Well, it's the same thing. We don't go into the throne room of God ourselves in our sin state and offer up our blood and offer up that to make a covenant because it wouldn't work. We can't cut a covenant like that with God on our own. But that's where we have a high priest, and that's why the high priest did what he did in the old covenant, but now we have a new high priest. And he went in there on our behalf and as he went into that throne room, it wasn't necessarily Jesus and God. It was God and a representation of you and me. Jesus was there as a representative for us. He wasn't there as Jesus himself. He was there as our representative to cut a covenant between man and God himself. And when he shed that blood, it was his blood because that was perfect blood. That was perfect life. So it was able to fix what was broken and deal with that sin consciousness and deal with sin. But it wasn't necessarily Jesus himself. He was our representative. And that was sacrificially done. It fixed the sin problem. He was willing to accept that covenant. It was able to, to fix what was broken and the breach that had taken place. And now God is saying, yes, I will enter in the covenant with man. And everything that I have is there. Again, they begin to try and grasp what everything is and the power, the strength, the grace, the glory is all at our disposal if we need it. Now again, that doesn't mean we can just go around and do whatever we want. But when we give God our heart and he gives us the desires of our heart, we start doing the things that he's called us to do, which is what we're here to do anyway then we can recognize that I'm in the will of God. I have no sin consciousness. I don't have anything between me and God. And I, I encounter an issue, whether that be a demon-possessed person or a person who needs healing, any finances, uh, I'm sick myself, whatever it is, that might be coming against us. All of that disposal is at our hand. And there's no reason and nothing that can stop us from using it. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to put that pole, but we so often cloud up our own minds and thinks that we can't have that, we can't do that, we shouldn't be like that. But that's what he desires. That's his desire is to have all of that power at our disposal. And it comes through the name of Jesus Christ. And that's a whole other teaching we can even get into, but we're not going to this morning. So I want you to understand the covenant deal that was cut between man and God and what that all entails to you. If you walk out of here with nothing else, remember everything that you have is his. 
really just after after your heart. So when we get born again, we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart and we give him our life, our hearts. That's our part of the covenant. Now everything that he has is immediately at our disposal, immediately available. And the sin conscious thing has been dealt with. So you need to deal with it on your own level. Quit thinking like that. Quit worrying about it like that. Recognize who you are in Christ. When you go to God, it is as if, because he was our representative, it is as if Jesus Christ himself is standing there saying, look, Lord, I've got this situation. I need it dealt with. I want it dealt with. And your word says you dealt with it. So it's done. That's not arrogant. That's not pride. That's the word. And that's where we are. Did Jesus go up and deal with um, sickness and disease, all patty cake-like, and beg God for, oh, Lord, would you please heal this woman with the issue of blood? No. He never once begged. He never once pleaded. He just took care of business because he knew who he was, and he knew what was at his disposal, and he knew nothing else could stand in its way. And that's exactly where we are if we get a hold of that. So I encourage you to study on that. Think about that. Get a hold of that in your minds. If you actually believe the Bible and believe that God is your righteousness and that you have become a new creation created in Christ Jesus, you will have no sense of sin. Now, I understand we screw up and we make mistakes since the day we become born again. I understand that. So sometimes we get a little sense of sin while we're in the middle of sin. That, that's understandable. But that's why we have 1 John 1, 9, right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. God will forgive you right there. It's like starting over. And not only, I love the second part of that verse. Not only is he faithful and just to forgive us, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So once again, you are righteous and pure as the day you were born again. You are as righteous and pure in the eyes of God as Jesus Christ himself. And it don't get no more righteous than pure than that. Amen? That's exactly who he sees, and that's exactly who you are when you're with God. So, yeah, you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to screw up. Some of you won't even make it out of the parking lot today before that happens. But just remember 1 John 1.9. Get it dealt with, and then get it out of your stupid mind. Get it gone. It goes. Get rid of it. It don't need to be there because it doesn't exist. Don't make a mockery of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It dealt with it. It's eradicated. It no longer exists. You can bring it up to God all you want. He has no idea what you're talking about. Because he said, word says he forgets it. It's done. It's over. Move on and remember who you are and walk in that power. I don't care if you sinned 30 seconds ago. If you dealt with it and you meet a demon, deal with it. Because you have that righteousness and you have that power at your disposal because that didn't happen no more. If you dealt with it properly, it's gone. If you need to deal with some things, get them dealt with. Okay, so let's jump over. Let's see here. If you believe on Jesus Christ, he is your righteousness, then go out and act like it. Dare to let God loosen you. That's in this book. I love that. Dare to let God loosen you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11.23. And this will be the last set of scripture we'll talk about. And then I want to give you an opportunity this morning. We're going to receive communion, which represents 
the blood covenant. Represents what took place that day. The reason we the reason we keep doing it is to remember. Hey, remember that sin stuff's dealt with. Hey, remember all of heaven's power and backing is at your disposal. Remember that. Don't forget that. So that's why we do covenant. That's why we're going to do. Or I'm sorry. That's why we do communion. That's why we're going to do it this morning. First Corinthians eleven twenty three. This is Paul. Now, all of the disciples were there when Christ did the, the Lord's Supper and told them and taught them about the new covenant. Paul wasn't there. But recognize, Paul is saying, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the, that the, the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread. So he's sitting here talking like he was there. When, when Paul got born again, he went away for a while. And some of you know this, but... He went away for a while and just spent time praying and seeking God, and God showed him some things, and God basically showed him this because he wanted him to fully understand who he was in Christ and the covenant that God did. Excuse me, the covenant that Jesus cut with him. He wanted him to know that, and look at some of the things Paul did. I don't know how many times that guy was dead, but he wasn't done. He knew who he was in covenant with. He'd walk right into crowds and give them all he had because he knew he was at his disposal. They'd throw rocks at him, kill him, drag him out of the city. Poop, pop right back up, run right back into the city because he knew what he was supposed to do, and he knew who had his back. He knew that even if they kill me, God will just have to raise me again from the dead because all that power is at my disposal. And that guy, that guy tested a lot of those theories. So Anyway, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 11.23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we have a phenomenal thing here. Every time we do communion, it's just to remember. It's not that we're cutting a new deal with God. It's just a remembrance thing. But what, we, what are we to remember? The covenant that he cut with us. That because he went into the throne room of God with his perfect blood, we can stand before God in his throne room without any sin, without any problems, completely free of that, clear of that because it's been eradicated. And anything we come up to in life, we have his everything at our disposal to be used. That's what we remember when we do this. Now, I want to read on, though, because there's a little warning that comes along with this. I want to make sure before we do this this morning that we all deal with this. It says in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So what does that mean? An unworthy manner. <clears throat> but let a man examine himself, so, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or not sleep, like go take a nap. They're dead. They die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So what is this unworthy manner that can get us into a whole lot of trouble if we take the Lord's covenant? Basically, dragging all that old crap back in. Dragging all that sin consciousness back in or dragging purposeful sin that we were not willing to let go of and not willing to talk to God about, not willing to deal with, making a mockery of that blood, kind of like we talked about. If we hang on to that sin consciousness and we don't let it go, we're taking this and doing it in remembrance in an unworthy manner. When we take this, we need to remember what he did and remember that it has been dealt with. It's gone. Now, if we also come in with sin, knowing that we are in sin and, and purposely in sin and receive this, that can also bring judgment upon ourselves. We don't want that. We don't need that because we don't want to in a sense, make a mockery of that. You know, when we come to Christ, it is to give of ourselves, to give it over. Our plans and purposes are done. So we can no longer be walking into our own purposes and desires and sins and not want to be at least dealing with them. So, as we receive communion this morning and here in a few minutes, if there are things in your heart or things that you know you've done that are done wrong, deal with them. Talk to God here this morning. I'll give you opportunity to do that and repent for it and do the first John 1 9 thing. Repent, ask for his forgiveness, and it's done. He'll not only forgive you, but he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You will be as righteous as Jesus Christ. And we can drink this and eat this in a worthy manner in remembrance of how awesome he is to eradicate even what we just dealt with, let alone all the, the wonderful history maybe that you have. You know, I have a pretty decorated history, and some of you know it. Some of you have heard about it. But it's a pretty fancy one, and it's gone. It's done. The only time I ever talk about it now is to turn around and use it to encourage someone to come into the Lord. Otherwise, for example, some of you know it. Some of you know I spent a night in jail after a DUI, alcohol problem, yada, yada, yada. I couldn't wait for that cop to hurry up and get his stupid paperwork done because I wanted to go meet with God. And I knew that if they just put me in that jail cell, I could get alone and I could get alone with God because I had to deal with this. And when I hit my knees, drunker than a skunk, I went to God. And right there, I knew God met me. I knew that was eradicated. And I knew it didn't exist no more in his eyes. And even though it took me till like 10, 30, 11 o'clock that next day to get released because I wasn't sober enough to go yet, <clears throat> I walked out of that place even prior to that. I went to sleep that night in peace like I hadn't experienced in a long time because I knew it was done. And though I had to go and talk to people and deal with things and go to court and go through classes and tell family members, and I knew the judgment that I was receiving from them and the looking down their nose at me I was getting, I didn't care because I knew I was right there. And, I, and sometimes I was like, Oop, don't get cocky about it. You know, almost like, you know, they don't understand that I know that I know that I, this is done and dealt with and over with and my heart's right with God and that's all that matters to me. I don't want to be a jerk to the judge or anything like that and say, hey, I don't care what you think. This thing's been solved. Yeah, he's, he's not going to go for that real well. But I almost had to remind myself, don't get cocky with this or, or get 
bold about this in the wrong scenario, you know what I mean? Because I knew that I knew that I knew that it was done, it was over with. And that's the way we need to be. We need to be not arrogant, but knowing and boastful in the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's done, it's over with. Thank God I don't have to deal with judgment. Thank God I don't have to deal with the punishment for those sins because Jesus Christ took that. He didn't go through all of that stuff just for fun or to write a really neat book or to give us something to half-heartedly believe. He did it so we could believe it with our whole heart and we could walk in that power of that and have all of heaven's disposal to us because of the covenant that he cut with us, between us and God. Amen? Amen. So 